you can explore an exclusive collection of case law at Decisis Law Reports. Browse a comprehensive collection of nearly 14,000 reports of Irish legal judgments delivered since 2011. Visit decisis.ie to find out more. And you're very welcome to episode 38 of The Fifth Court, a podcast on legal affairs presented by myself, Peter Leonard Barrister. And myself, Mark Tottenham Barrister and editor of Decisis.ie. Well, Mark, in the last episode, as you know, we had the pleasure of a judicial guest in studio uh, as we welcomed the recently retired High Court Judge Deirdre Murphy into studio. It was very good of her to come in to talk to us and did that interview go down a bomb? Mm, a lot of interest. Did you get much chat about that during the week? Absolutely. Wasn't she fantastic? Mm. And we've had loads of judicial participants. Yep. She comes on the heels of the great Jared uh, Hogan. And, and John also McMenamin. John McMenamin and Richard Humphreys. Yep. So it's we're, we're, we're very popular with the judiciary, but she gave us a brilliant interview and it was wonderful. Well, this week we are moving away from the bench and indeed moving outside of the law, so to speak, as we are going to discuss that much debated topic amongst our colleagues of life after law. David McKechnie was a very successful solicitor with a number of large corporate firms, I suppose you would say, uh, but he decided to knock it all on the head and become a life coach. He's just back from giving a course on the beaches in Portugal, no less. So I'm really looking forward to talking to him about that. A slightly different interview for this show, Mark. I think mm. this is going to be really interesting. Yeah, I think the uh, there's a lot of people always concerned that, that, um, that law can kind of take over your life. So it'll be interesting to hear whether there are tips that he has four practicing lawyers. Okay, we're going to get to that very shortly. But first, we're going to discuss three cases that you have identified from the Decisis website. First, we're going to look at a case concerning a forfeiture order in criminal proceedings. The offender failed to comply with the order and the court issued a bench warrant for his arrest, even though he was represented in court by a solicitor and barrister. Highly unusual, I would have thought. This is a decision of Mr. Justice Charlton in the Supreme Court. The case is called the Director of Public Prosecutions versus Morgan. Yeah. So a forfeiture order is, was can be is, issued by a sentencing court. Um, and what happened here was that the offender had been prosecuted, as had been convicted of uh, living or, or receiving the earnings of prostitution, and so. Um, in order, he he was ordered to pay certain monies back, and I think that was a, a sort of instalment-based order, and that was to be enforced in the High Court. And he failed to comply with the order, so the matter was brought back before the High Court, where a solicitor and barrister were present representing him. However, he wasn't present himself, and the court clearly felt that he ought to be present, and so they issued a bench warrant. Now, the, the generally speaking, a bench warrant is issued if somebody doesn't turn up um, in relation to a pending criminal trial or where sentencing hasn't happened yet. And um, the question really was, was a be- bench warrant um, uh, over the top? Was it taking a sledgehammer to crack or not? Um, and the, the, the issue that was d- discussed in the High Court was whether something akin to, um, to attachment and committal should have been used, something a little bit more like civil contempt order. But um, what happened in the Supreme Court was that they said that the High Court does have jurisdiction to order a, to consider a bench warrant, but 
it should only be issued where it's necessary. And where he had representation, really it was not necessary. Okay, okay, very good. Okay, the next case concerns an issue close to my own heart, that of journalistic privilege. This is the case of Corcoran versus the Commissioner of Ungartha Siakona, a decision of the Supreme Court, again from the Supreme Court, and this time the main judge, I think, was Mr Justice Collins, yeah. Morris Collins. In this case, the Gardaí obtained a bench warrant over a newspaper premises and the home of the newspaper's editor. So it went a little bit far, this one, I would have thought. Uh, the editor claimed that journalistic privilege applied. Yeah. So the background to this case is that there was a repossession of property in the town in question. And some armed and masked people uh, attended in order to resist the repossession. Um, so clearly a, a, a serious criminal issue arose and the newspaper reported on it. And the newspaper reporters took footage on the phone, their phones. And the Gardaí then decided that in order to properly investigate, they needed the material that the newspaper had obtained. So they went to the district court and sought a... Having tried to get this material on a voluntary basis and being told that journalistic privilege was being claimed, they went to the district court and got a, um, a search warrant for the premises in question. That's the newspaper premises and the home of the editor. Th that was granted and then this was challenged um, by the editor and the matter went to the Supreme Court. And really the question was whether journalistic privilege applied. And so, the, the well, to cut a very long story short, what the court said was that the district court judge should have been told that the newspaper was uh, was claiming journalistic privilege before making the decision and that didn't happen in this case. Okay. And so for so that reason the, the search the, was unlawful. The, well the bench warrants the, the search warrants were quashed. Okay, very good. Okay, finally uh, this case concerns a doctor who was accused of prescribing drugs in an unorthodox manner. This is the case of the Medical Council versus Z, a decision of the President of the High Court, David Barneval. The doctor was subject to reg regulatory action, but allowed to continue in practice subject to certain undertakings. But it came to the attention of the Medical Council that he had breached those undertakings. Yeah, so he was, as you said, he was prescribing drugs in a way that he shouldn't have prescribed them. I mean, basically he... He, the, the, he wasn't following the usual procedures for prescribing drugs. When it came to their attention, um, they, they brought proceedings. He, he undertook to only prescribe drugs under supervision. But then it came to their attention that he was continuing to prescribe it on at least one or two occasions, drugs that he shouldn't have prescribed. So the matter went back before the court and the question was, do they suspend him altogether or can he be relied on to make new undertakings? And they basically said, you've had your chance um, and so they suspended so he's him. Off. He's, he's gone. He's a goner. Uh, suspended temporarily pending the final hearing. Okay. Very good. Okay. Thank you, Mark, for those. And we're going to be back shortly with David McKechnie. Silence in the fifth court. Okay. It is my great pleasure to uh, welcome to the studio David McKechnie. David, there is life after law, apparently. You're, you're an example of this. This man was a top uh, commercial solicitor and you knocked it all on the head. And you also come from a very well-known legal family. I'm going to have to point that out as well. Uh, but now you do something else. You're a life coach. Isn't that right? Close. Yeah, pretty pretty much. Well, you know, the, the fundamental facts are there. Yes, I was indeed a lawyer and there is some life after law. I can confirm 
Yes. Okay, from okay. the other side of this. And yes, currently I am now a high performance leadership. And I, I was, I was wondering, how could you give up law? And then I saw a picture on the brochure that you have of you standing on a Portuguese beach with a surfboard under your arm. And I said, maybe, maybe I can understand it now. <laughs> yes, yeah, part of my training, actually. So I'm actually just back from, from Portugal. So I'm also a trainer of coaches. So I kind of hold my own cor- courses out in the Royal Marine Hotel in Dunleary. And I'm a coach of a certain level, so it's a certain type of coaching. It's called NLP. Uh, we might discuss that in more detail. Yeah, NLP. Okay, we'll, yeah. we'll come to all that. And I'm kind of jumping in sure. before we go back. So let's go back all the way. Mm. So as I said, very strong pedigree in the law. Mm. Uh, people know your your father, who That's was uh, a well-known and esteemed member of the Supreme Court for many years. And I know you have a sister who's also practicing at the bar very successfully. So so the law was always in the background. And surprise, surprise, you studied law and ended up as a solicitor. Would you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. Very surprising. Um, my mother was also a solicitor. So they actually, my mother and father actually met in law in UCC. So yeah, going back to look school, coming out of school, when I was coming out of school, there the emphasis was on getting, you know, a good solid degree. And as I was coming out of school, it wasn't really about things you might be massively excelling in, didn't really know myself. And of course, there was a bit of a, as you've just said there, a bit of a path that was laid out before me. My father was there. Um, my mother had been there. My sister was doing business and legal studies in UCD. My brother was doing law and German in Trinity. And so, yeah, guess what? I jumped so, in. And uh, and did you like it initially? Because you, you went the full, the full way and qualified and yeah, all look, that, you know? I really enjoyed uh, law, you know, and, and in college, it's really interesting. You know, you're doing all case law. So this is exactly how it's going to be. Get to third year in college, my daughter's born. So I still have a year left in college. So with that, it was, yeah, put the head down. So that you focuses look the mind yes, a little bit. Exactly. Let's go. Let's let's see what road I'm going out. I preferred the law to the business side at that point. And I chose the solicitor route because I thought that was a little bit more of a secure footing to yeah take care of my responsibilities. Okay. So you worked with Augustus Cullen, very well known firm in medical yes. negligence and various different other things. And uh, and you worked your way up. You were a senior associate, and you went you went to a couple of firms, didn't you? I did indeed. So I, I guess I landed on my feet, study, and went into Augustus Cullen Law, and was fortunate enough to to practice on the plaintiff side of medical negligence there, and enjoyed a good few years there. I met a lot of kind of great people. Progressed then to senior associate there. Felt I needed a change, and this kind of part of this process. I kind of enjoyed law. Wasn't really certain that this was the route where I was going to. I guess, reach my optimal level of contribution to the world. So I changed firm, went to Field Fisher, and uh, sorry, at the time it was McDill Purcell, Purcell yeah. and did healthcare regulation, professional regulation in there, stayed there for five years. Again, really enjoy that, like amazing people. At that point, though, I was more and more getting involved in the coaching. I was starting it on the side. On the Sundays, I'd borrowed a friend's physical therapy room, was coaching a few people on the side, stumbled upon a coaching course, which is actually the one I give now. Sorry, what kind of coaching were you were you, were you doing at this stage? Is, is, this isn't like sports training. I mean, this is life coaching. So it? so this is, yeah, exactly. So there's life, there's business, there's executive coaching. Mm-hmm. What, what happened to me was, I guess, as I said there, my daughter was born when I was 21. Put the head down, jump into law. Um, you progress along the ranks. That's the, that's the route, okay? That's where, where we got to go. Let's go as quick as possible towards partner. Get to senior associate level. 
and kind of thought, okay, is this actually where I want to spend my life long term? So I started asking myself a couple of questions. A couple of things happened on the personal side of things. You know, this breakdown of, of the relationship with the mother of my child. We had a house. It was the depths of the recession at that point and massive negative equity. So you wanted to start over. Start over. So I thought that maybe if I change firms, that'll take care of it. So I changed firms. That did something. It changed I'm, the trajectory. I'm thinking of kind of a, an awkward Hollywood scene. All of you gathered around the table. and You say, <laughs> you know, Ma and Pa, I want to tell you something. I want to leave this law lark. Well, yeah, it was interesting, actually, that that was more of a, mine was an incremental journey. Yes. You know, I'm reading a book at the moment called The, Com- the Compound Effect, right? It, this was The Compound Effect. So it was the small, consistent steps that I was taking. And it started that this kind of journey prompted me to speak to someone who said, listen, come on this coaching course. And this coaching course was, was NLP, actually. It's, it's called Neuro Linguistic Programming. It's a form of... Frogs into princes. Yes. Fantastic. Of course, very effective and very useful for barristers and negotiation, any kind of communication. And I got on that course, absolutely loved it. And then I started thinking, okay, well, actually, what's possible here? What can I do differently? Got a qualification as a coach out of it. Started coaching then on the side. And this got me thinking. So I stayed in McDowell Purcell for five years, coaching on the side. And then I thought, OK, I've got to make another change in order to progress this. My, my long term aim was actually to, to coach. So I found an opportunity for a four day week in Kennedy's. Uh, in their health, Another well-known law, law firm. Yes. I, I love the way this is going. Go on, David, <laughs> keep going. So got four, four days there. And, you know, they were brilliant, uh, brilliant team, brilliant firm. Um, Joanna Sullivan was was the partner there with a, a broad enough mind to accept me in on, on a four day week to give me that flexibility and knew you know I was open up front and I was saying look I'm doing this coaching on the side this part and they're, they're Medneg as well aren't they yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. Medneg on the defence side uh, so I'd done the, the full rounds at this point and then fast forward maybe a year and a half to two years I guess I was thinking again am I getting closer to where I want to be Sorry, can I stop you there? You can. <clears throat> While you're working with Kennedy's, yes. you say you're coaching on the side. Who are you coaching and what, what are, you, are, you, are you helping people in their business businesses? Are you helping them there make life decisions? What, 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 what kind of coaching are you doing at this stage? Yes, brilliant question. So at that time, I'm doing private client work. That's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm one-to-one coaching. I am working with people to, I guess, look, optimize their performance levels, make changes in their lives, get overall kind of balance, overall kind of satisfaction. If they want to work towards something, I'm helping them achieve that. I'm facilitating that. So I'm kind of renting a room in some holistic place and I'm seeing people there on the Fridays, on the Saturdays. Okay. And and will you give us a case study? Like who's coming to you and what are you trying to do? So it depends. At this time, there's there's a kind of broad mix. You know, some people will come to me and they feel dissatisfied in life. They feel like that they're not kind of reaching their potential. They have things that they want to do, and they're maybe too fearful of doing it. They feel that it's not possible. We work together to make that happen. There's other people come to me who want to make career change, and um, that's progressed a little bit over the years. You know, the majority of the work that I do now is I'm working with professionals. I'm working with people who are in senior positions, who want to really kind of, I suppose, yeah, optimize whatever they're doing in, in their day to day. A lot of people kind of get to these certain positions without actually training to get there. 
and sometimes when you get to there you default to your level of training which is usually zip in some of these places and, and they're magically expected to perform on yes. there to support that to facilitate that Okay um, and I'm going to get into more of this with you David because I think this is really interesting um, can we go back to the law though before you said cheerio yes. to the law will you just give me some observations as being a practical solicitor and like what did you see you know amongst colleagues um, did you see kind of contented people who enjoyed putting in the, all those hours reading those European directives <laughs> or you know did you see people who kind of thought it was going to be a more glamorous lifestyle did you see people making loads of money and were delighted with themselves what did you see would you just give me an impression of your, of, of your experience of working as a solicitor and obviously you were involved in litigation a lot because of the firms you worked for. Yeah. So you saw the courts as well. It was indeed, yeah. And, and obviously the, the familial background as well, giving me a good rounded vantage point to, to view from all angles. I guess there's probably a, a preconception before you get involved with law as to what it might involve. And so for some people, it will be the right course. Okay. There's an inevitability that it's going to take a lot of work. You put in a lot of work you can get rewards. You know, a common thing that did say was said to me as I was leaving was, oh, you managed to get out. How did you do it? So there, there's some element to that for sure. And there's certain people who, who sacrifice quite a lot in the area of the law. At the same point, there's some people who, who it's vocational. They absolutely love it. They breathe it. They're really interested in it. So it kind of swings a lot of ways. There are a lot of people who aren't happy given some of the cultures that are in certain places. That's certainly something that I've seen. I think there's an evolving part of that and it needs to evolve, I think, as a workplace in terms of the things that we actually embrace in the work in the workplace. I mean, certainly, you know, I've already alluded to it. When you get there, when I got there, it was get to partner or where else are you going to be? You know, you're no worth to anyone. And I think there is an evolution of that mindset in terms of, okay, some people actually just don't want to be partner. So yes. let's find a space where they can still add a huge amount well, of value. We, we, last week we had a, an interview with retired High Court Judge Deirdre Murphy and she was mm. talking about, you know, she was championing the, the small farm, mm. you know, and people who kind of have a vocation and sort of not a moral obligation. I think, you know, there was kind of a different view in relation to that. But we, she was talking about how the landscape now has been characterised by big firms, corporate firms, and I suppose ambition, people wanting to become partners, and sacrificing a lot for that, a lot of long days, hard work, tedious work to get there. Um, now, the, the, the rewards are huge. So is it worth it? Are, are you seeing anything like that? Or maybe am I going on a different tangent? No, look, this is something I obviously considered. I got the senior associate and I looked at partnership level and I looked at my friends, some really good friends, who were still really good friends of mine, become partners. And there certainly was a question for me whether that would be a sufficient return on investment for me. Now, now, for me, I just didn't think it was the right corridor for me to be in overall. And I've seen a toll it, it takes on, on certain people as, uh, as partners. At the same point, you know, if, if you're in it and if you, if you kind of love it enough, absolutely, there, there's kind of great rewards in it. Uh, but other, apart from that, I just think that there has to be an evolution of it in terms of this pressure to get to that place and that's the be all and end all and if you're not that you're actually not contributing anything and I think there is a, there is a movement here of the workforce actually they want more from life in general they want more from the workplace they want more from the people who are leading them um, and I think there is a changing a little bit uh, of the guard uh, in a positive sense to, to foster kind of people development bring purpose to what I they do I suppose that raises two questions for me I mean one is that is, you know, from your advantage as a life coach and presumably you're seeing other 
professions and businesses. I mean, it, it, it are the same pressures there for accountants and doctors and everybody else? I mean, the, the, the or, or are there, is there any profession that's kind of healthier? And I suppose the second one then is, have we moved away from a situation where you could be a solicitor in a small town, you could be, you know, doing the conveyances, doing the wills, building up a relationship with the local community and being not being a person of standing within the community and providing a service that, that, that those sort of that way of life has, has kind of gone by the wayside and have we lost something? Okay, so taking the first question, I guess from, from what I'm observing on that, look, I'm, I'm going to kind of generalize a little bit. There's some industries, some professions, there's some spaces, and even in the corporate sector, uh, that are potentially a little bit further along than the legal sector. I think there's a bit of chasing up, chasing up or, or catching up to be done on that. And what I'm really talking about is really the focus on the people on that. Okay. And I do appreciate that, look, we're a business in the end. we got to make money. And um, at the same point, ultimately, the people are going to make you the money, right? So how you make that sustainable, how the employee retention, how you attract people, that all becomes massively important. Some places are a little bit further along in a really genuine sense in terms of investing in their people, investing in their leaders, ensuring adequate training when they get to those levels so that they can not only optimize their performance, but also their enjoyment of it mm -hmm. as well. And that becomes a far more sustainable and actually a far better output. Um, and there's far less kind of write-offs if you're talking about, you know, time spent. There's a, there's a greater return for that. In terms of the second question, uh, however, I, do, I don't want to dismiss, there are definitely developments in law firms, how, depending on the particular space and how attached they are or how willing they are to put that focus on varies. Now, I kind of believe that culture filters from the top down. So it just depends how seriously they uh, take it and, and want to believe in that. And, and it's more than lip service. It's actually what they're actually willing to do. And that's really in the actions that, that, that really matter. So the investment in that. In terms of the second question, I think relationships are massively important. I think, you know, those kind of personal relationships. And I think that there's a you know, bit of a pendulum swing back around you know, everything's so digitized, we're coming out of COVID, people want connection, people want to to develop those relationships. Uh, and I do see in a really positive sense that with those, you know, relationships and that kind of networking that people want to, uh, you know, reward that with business, the development, all of that. So Okay, okay. Yeah. So will you tell us what is NLP? Okay, great question. So it's a form of coaching. It's called Neuro Linguistic Programming. And essentially how this kind of originated was, and by the way, when I went in this course that I initially did, it was an NLP coaching and life coaching course. I had no idea what it was. I was just in the, in the place of saying yes to whatever was coming in front of me at that time. But it was actually created by two people over in uh, the States. Uh, one was a professor of linguistics in USC. And what they did was they started to model... wasn't Noam Chomsky, was it? It wasn't, no. <laughs> well, wasn't he famously a professor of, of linguistics at MIT? Sorry, yeah, excuse no, no, me, he, excuse he's, me. He's prevalent. Bandler, and who's the other one? Exactly, John Grinder, Richard Bandler. Richard Bandler, yeah. Um, I see Mark knows much more about this than me. Indeed. Anyway, I beg your pardon, I interrupted you, excuse me. Well, it's massively applicable in terms of what you guys do. Um, and they just start to model kind of people who are considered geniuses in their field, like experts in their field. And what they did is they started to model their behaviors, how they spoke, how they acted, um, how they behaved. And they were able to recreate then a methodology, a coaching methodology, so that we could recreate their behaviors in our daily lives. So one of those people, for example, 
um, which my Mark, Mark might be interested in, it was Milton Erickson, who was an American psychiatrist. He was a hypnotherapist. And so they would use things like how they framed their language, their very hypnotic, persuasive, influential language. And these guys ended up working for you know, Secret Service, intelligence, all these different things, master negotiators, communicators. So their skills were used in a good cause. That's what you're Ex- telling us. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, look, that's, okay, that's well. how it's progressed through the years. So it's a, uh, that's what, Course, and you've studied this, okay? So I've studied this now. So I've gone on from studied at various levels. There's practitioner level, there's master practitioner level, there's a thing called new code. And I've gone on to become a trainer in in this. So in a kind of nice circle, you know, the person who I kind of attribute a lot of my change to is, was a beautiful woman I met was Betty Cosgrave. She was the person who said, listen, get on this course. I know what idea, what it was. However, I'm usually thankful for what she did. She passed, you know, about two years ago. And hopefully continuing the ripple effect of her work, I went on to become a trainer. And now I give that course that actually I went on in the first place. So I'm able to qualify new coaches. Um, yeah, so that, that okay, can, well, this is a, make the changes. Very interesting, David. And you did say, you said NLP, and you said, you know what, that is really relevant to the work of a barrister. Mm. Will you explain that to me? So there's so many as- aspects to it that is re- really, um, really relevant. There, there's, there's a lot of things that we cover uh, in the course, for example, and specifically relating to, to barristers, well, there's a lot of things, you know, it's, it's, it's in terms of understanding how people communicate is really, really important. It's understanding that being able to shift perspectives to understand, you know, for example, in negotiation, maybe the views of other people or other parties or solicitors or, you know, colleagues, so that maybe we could preempt what actually it is that they might um, maybe come at us with or actually what they want so we can proactively you know, meet their needs. I think that's really important. It's all We teach all about how you develop rapport in a really sophisticated fashion, about matching, mirroring, tone, body language, words, um, the, the, how, the, the communication styles of people. I, and would I, would I be right in saying that it would be quite useful in kind of developing cross-examination tricks? I mean, there's, there's quite a lot to do with you know how the way people's eyes go when they recall things or when they're trying to to work things out and that's a part of it there's a yeah so i mean it really teaches you to be to really heighten your sensory awareness right to activate all your senses because look there's studies done and there's one study done at ucla which says that look our communication right words amount to seven percent of your communication so there's 93 percent of communication which is available at any given time. So as part of NLP, you're activating your senses to pick up on all of their the slightest shifts in their body movements, which gives us really good information that there's something going on internally. And as Mark refers to there, we can actually tell. Now, this, it's, it's a generalization, right? So this is part of the information. You don't kind of jump to inclu- conclusions on it, but it does give us good information. By their eye movements, we can tell whether people are recalling. We can tell... Uh, whether people are accessing or creating certain imagery or certain things, which which may give us information as to whether or not this is true or not. We can also get information as to whether people are kind of really going within themselves, talking to themselves, whether they're... And we can also get information as to what kind of learning, what type of learning systems they work within. And on top of that then, Mark, as you're kind of saying that there's how we frame our language is massively important. Um, you know, very different things. So we can use language very effectively to generate certain outcomes. So certain questions, for example, if you've seen, for example, I don't know if you saw Elon Musk's interview with the BBC reporter. Okay, if you've seen that, it's worth checking out. 
there's a thing called meta model within uh, NLP and it's the specific questioning of it. Well, he uses it to great effect to really challenge what this person is bringing to the table to look for specifics of how Twitter is toxic. The reporter can't come up with anything at that particular time. And look, it's an uncomfortable watch for us. It's far more uncomfortable for the for the reporter. And you think that Elon Musk has done NLP training or just has those techniques to well, hand? Wouldn't surprise me, to be honest. At the same point, I'm not speaking for Elon Musk, so I'm <laughs> definitely not saying that he has. But it's part of of what we do here. There's the, there's the kind of very kind of questioning on that. And there's also kind of other ways of framing your language to to look Ethically, of course. When I hear, when I hear this, David, I mean, like I made a little gag earlier about, you know, you said that it was used by Secret Service and I said oh, it's great that it was put, used in a good cause. It, is it a bit, is there a touch of the sinister about this as well, that you can <laughs> sort of read somebody's mind and, you know, mind games and all this sort of stuff? Look, is, is that what's going on as well? They, they, I mean, like, absolutely, there, this can be used. Peter, have you not noticed how you've been manipulated throughout this interview? I was just, I'm just, I love a mirror now to see what my eyes are doing as we speak, you know. No, but seriously, no, David, this is wonderful. Really, really fascinating. But I'm just wondering, it's, it, I, I know you, you exude positivity, so I'm not trying to suggest yes. anything like that. But um, is it, can it be a little bit dodge as well? This is something that, of course, so we're, we're kind of uh, regulated by the ITCA, right? So we're directly affiliated. What I do is directly affiliated with one of the co-creators. So John so Grinder. what's the ITCA? So it's the International Trainers and Coaching Academy. Okay. Um, so we're, I'm directly affiliated with John Grinder. So John Grinder actually signs the certificates. So we have, um, you know, our code of conduct. We have the, the curriculum that we want. So, of course, how I teach it is really, really important in terms of maintaining that ethical side of it, right? And making sure that we are using this, you know, to good effect, to, to go directly to your word, though. Yeah, of course, it could be used to influence people who are vulnerable, could be used to, uh, as with all of these things. Um, yeah. And can and I, sorry, 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 Mark. Depending on the person. Can I bring back to you? I mean, you sitting here, you sound very enthusiastic. It looks mm. as if you find this a very fulfilling career. Were you like this when you were a lawyer? That's a good question. <laughs> I'd like to check in with my colleagues about this. Um I enjoyed my time in law. You know, it was a really kind of interesting. Like, I don't regret anything. I wouldn't change any part of it. I've got massive skills and Can experience. I just point out to listeners, there was an immediate drop in the tone of your voice. Your your shoulders sank slightly when you started talking about law. I'm I'm no NLP practitioner, but I can see a difference in tone. Well, you could be. <laughs> Mark, if you come <laughs> my next course. Uh, he, couldn't, he couldn't leave the robes behind. Tart. He just couldn't do Natural it. Absolutely. No, no, that's information. Uh, look, I, I really enjoyed it. As I said, it's given me lots of skills that I'm able to apply now and what I do and, and my experience in the, in, the, in the corporate place. And I've made a lot of lifelong friends out of it. There's no question. I'm, 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 I am uh, more invested in this. This is something that, look, I spend my spare time happily studying, you know, spending my holidays as I've just come back from Portugal, doing further training in. No, I did really enjoy it. Actually, the, the more medical negligence side was actually one area that I was really fascinated with. And by the end of it, you know, felt in a really kind of good place around it. At the same point, as I said, I was, I felt I was a good lawyer. I felt like I could really be good at this and help people in a different way and make a, yeah, I guess the contribution that I feel that I could. And as you carry out your training, as you say, you have these wonderful classrooms like that beach in Portugal with your surfboard. <laughs> is, is a surfboard part of NLP? It could be. It, it could be, Peter. Uh, absolutely. Uh, now, it's not particularly part. Now, we do have a beautiful room in, in Dunleary overlooking the sea. 
But that was part of, yeah, the training that we did. I managed to get a couple of days after Okay, that, David, so you've been very good to come in and, and talk to us. Um, you, give it, you can give us the cell. You can tell us where, where people can find you <laughs> if they're interested. Yeah, well, look, my, my name is David McKechnie. I'm a high performance and leadership and I'm an executive coach and trainer. My company is Write Your Story NLP. You can find me on social media, Instagram, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. And yes, I guess the only kind of other kind of sell is that uh, I am running an NLP course actually this coming September to December. There so you go. So folks, if you if you found that interesting, that's that's how you contact the man. Now, David, I made a mistake, as I always do. I forget to tell you that we have this little question that we ask at the end of our interviews. Now, maybe you've listened to other shows, you know about it. Do you have a movie, a legal movie, and I still go, because you're a lawyer as well and you never can leave the law behind, no matter how much NLP you do. Um, do you have a, a movie or a book that you could recommend to our listeners? Anything with a legal theme that kind of strikes you? Or that would be good for lawyers. Or that would be good for lawyers. <laughs> okay, so we're going to keep this, you know, law-related to some extent. Speaking of a book, I think... What what I kind of really enjoyed, I guess, a recent read of mine. I suppose not technically law related, uh, but if you've read it, Shoe Dog, Shoe Dog, Shoe Dog. So it's the story of Nike or Nike, however you pronounce it, and it's a fascinating story about how he built a company. And what I really kind of liked that about that was a couple of things. One, what you might see from the outside is not necessarily what's going on, on the inside, and also that challenges are all kind of part of life. However, that's not the outcome. It's how you respond to it. So just being able to adapt and uh, respond to that is really where, where the magic lies. I love the book Shoe Dog, you know, and I, I love that idea of what's happening on the inside mightn't be what's apparent on the outside. Mm. So that's a bit like Mark when he just has those steely eyes and he's in court. Maybe, you know, he's slightly that, different on the inside, Mark. Is that it, the way it is? That's right. The, the, the map is not the territory. Isn't that what UNLP people say? That is exactly it. Yes. David, this has been absolutely fascinating. Thank and I'm really for grateful for you coming in and being a guest on The Fifth Court. Thank you very much for having me. The Fifth Court will adjourn until next week. So that's all from this edition of The Fifth Court. We hope you have enjoyed it. Can we say a huge thank you to our guest, former solicitor and now NLP coach, David McKechnie for coming in and talking to us. Uh, plenty of food for thought in that interview, I thought, Mark. Absolutely. I think we're both going to go and teach NLP on Portuguese beaches from now yes, on. Yes, yes. And, and our next episode of the Fifth Court will be from can't the imagine you're going to ditch the robes, so Mark. Well, I, I, do, you, do you not see me surfing on a Portuguese beach? <laughs> well, yes, of course I do. Yes, of course I do. Can I also say a huge thank you to our producer, Cunnel O'Moroin, and to the Dublin South Podcast Studios and sound engineer Lee Brennan for their wonderful work in recording this show. Obviously, as we say to people, please get in touch with us. If you have any ideas for items that we can cover going forward, please let us know. So finally, from me, Peter Leonard. And myself, Mark Totten. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon in the Fifth Court. Never miss a vital Irish legal judgment. Check out Decisis Law Reports, where you'll find a fully indexed collection of all Irish judgments delivered since 2011. Visit decisis.ie to find out more.